Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. All right, can you hear me? Oh, a little ringing. It is holiday season. It feels a little bit more like Christmas this morning, huh? The uh, bipolar Texas weather, hot one day, averagely cold the next, and uh, it just never gets cold, but I can take 50 degrees, so it's good to be with you guys this morning. My name's Dustin, if we haven't had the chance to meet, and uh, I have the privilege of leading our college students at, uh, here at Texas State. Um, there's not a lot of them there. I think they're probably studying hard for finals, or maybe not. We'll just believe that they are, um, but I'm excited to be with you, and uh, we are in Advent season, and uh, I love Advent. Advent is um, such a significant time, and uh, Natalie kicked us off last week. Wasn't that amazing? Yes, so good. And uh, this is week two of Advent, and I love Advent because Advent is the declaration that our God is not like other gods. You see, every other religion, in order to have relationship with God, it's about man climbing a ladder in their own effort to try to make an attempt to please a God who's distant. But Advent is the declaration that that God actually descended the ladder and became like us. Advent is beautiful because it shows us that God is like us, that God came in the form of a baby in a manger, humble and small and weak like many of us to show us that I am becoming like you, not to transform the world from a distant place, but to transform the world from the inside out. And so as we celebrate Advent this year, my heart is, is that we would become more fascinated, maybe more acquainted with this idea of the incarnation. Say incarnation. Incarnation, Incarnation, the way I would describe it, is simply the enfleshment. It's God taking on skin and bones. It's God saying, I understand what it's like to be human. God living with us. God living and eating and breathing and sleeping like a human, and then ultimately he pays a price to reconcile us, but he doesn't do it as some abstract being. He does it as a man. And this is what we celebrate in Advent, that God came to us. And so this morning, we're gonna dive into scripture. We're gonna look at Matthew chapter one, starting in verse 18. If you have your scripture, you can go ahead and turn there with me. Matthew chapter one, Verses 18 through 25, I'm going to be looking this morning at the life of Joseph. Joseph, who was the earthly father of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, should read something like this. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, 
because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and he took Mary home as his wife, but, as he, did not, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you are the light of the world. We thank you in this season of Advent as we prepare our hearts to remember your coming that you are God with us, Emmanuel. And this morning I pray that we would just allow our hearts to settle into that reality that you're with us. And because you're with us, we can too take hold of the phrase of the mouthpiece of God spoken by the angel where it says, do not be afraid. We could rest in that, God, that we do not have to fear because one who is greater than any other has come to us and his name is Jesus. And this morning, Jesus, we say thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for what you've done for us. We love you. Amen. Amen. So the theme of our Advent series, like Chris was saying, is Light of the World, and the title of my message this morning is Light to the Fearful. And I want to talk about Joseph's encounter with the incarnation. So Natalie taught about Mary last week, and she also talked about fear. And I want to take a few moments to just talk about fear, and I want to talk about it from Joseph's perspective. I want to talk about what it must have been like for Joseph and how he had to overcome fear in order to see the birth of the Messiah come to pass. So I don't know if you've seen this on social media or maybe you've just heard um, through word of mouth, but as of yesterday, I too have been a father for exactly one month. Yes, so exciting. Say hi to everyone back there, Hattie. She's in the back. It's her first time at church. She's so holy. Got a few pictures for you so you can see her. Do we have a picture for her? There she is on Thanksgiving. She's so cute. She looks just like her mom, thank God. Show, show the next one. Look, she got to meet Santa Claus this week, which is awesome. I, think, I, I said this. I, I said she's looking at him, and she's confused that her dad's beard had gotten so white. So, but it's been, a, it's been a great joy. The past month has been amazing. Caitlin is incredible. Listen, father's can probably attest to this when you watch your wife go through that. It just gives you a new level of respect, amen, to all the women out there. Bless you. You guys are incredible, and uh, we've just been loving it, and it's been amazing. In the past month, I think I have experienced um, deeper joy than I knew was possible. Um, it's a different kind of joy. It's a deeper level of joy, and as we've spent time together, it's been incredibly uh, powerful and exciting and uh, sleepless at times, but it's amazing. And so I've experienced deep joy, but one other thing that I've experienced in the past few weeks is fear. If I can be honest, ha having a baby is scary. Listen, I don't know about you, especially if you've never done this thing before, like if you've never been responsible for a human, um, it can be a little bit scary. You could ask Caitlin, there's times like in the middle of the night where I'll walk over and just look at her and just be like, is she still breathing? Like, is she still alive? Like, I just have this fear that something's gonna happen to her. And, and, and here's the thing. Fear at, at, at times can be healthy, right? Like the kind of fear that you feel when you're standing at the edge of a cliff 
can be normal, right? Like that's a good kind of fear. That's the kind of fear that keeps us safe, that protects us. But the reality is, is the kind of fear that Joseph was experiencing was not that healthy kind of fear. The kind of fear that Joseph was experiencing was the gripping kind of fear, The kind of fear that says it doesn't look like um, there's any way out of this. How is this a thing? Like what is going to come of this? Thus the angel comes to Joseph and he makes the declaration, do not be afraid. So I want us to think about Joseph for a second. I want us to kind of dive into his story and just think about what it must have been like to be the father of the Messiah. So think about it. The first fear that he experiences is he's, he's afraid that maybe Mary has been unfaithful to him. Like, listen, before the angel came to Joseph, he didn't have warning. Like, he didn't have a, you know, like a pre-angel that came and was like, hey, something is about to happen. It's going to be dramatic, so just hang on tight. No, his wife comes to him and says, I'm pregnant, and God got me pregnant. He's like, what? Like, you can imagine his first fear is like, I think maybe my wife has been unfaithful. The second fear is that, you know, either she's lying or she's crazy, right? And then he moves into the sphere of the potential of having to live without her. The fear of of what may happen to his wife and their baby if he leaves. And he has this fear of, of Mary and this fatherless child. And then Probably the most significant fear that I would imagine he would have felt is the fear of public shame. What will they say about me? What will they say about me and my crazy wife as she begins to tell this story that doesn't make any sense? He's in a bind. He's in a pickle. And so Joseph, the the woman he's engaged to is pregnant. And you know for obvious reasons that the baby is not yours. And she's telling you that an angel has come to her, saying that God was doing something he'd never done before. He was going to cause a virgin to become pregnant. And that child would be the longed-for Messiah. It's too much. It's too big to be true. It's too out there. Not only that, you live in a society that is so deeply focused on the ideas of honor and shame and family, and if, if what you think has happened has happened, if she has been unfaithful to you before marriage, you have the legal right to call off the marriage, to take the moral high ground, and to show yourself free from public shame. You could file for divorce, and everyone legally and socially will side with you. But you love this woman. You don't want this to happen to her. You don't want her to be dragged through the mud, even if she did what you think she did. And so you've resolved, like it says in verse 19, to divorce her quietly, you're gonna do the right thing. This is Joseph's situation. But then God shows up and he says this, do not fear, I'm in this. How many of you guys can identify with that type of fear? Anyone, can you identify with that type of fear that gripping fear, that crippling fear, the fear that says there's no way out of this, my life is ruined. It's the type of fear that leaves you living in a reality where God can't do the impossible. It's the kind of fear that leaves you living in a reality to where you're left with your own decisions, your own devices. And this is what we learn about the story of Joseph. 
is that this kind of fear is the exact kind of fear that God loves to step in the middle of. This is the kind of fear that God loves to show up in and allow his light to liberate us from the things that we feel bound by. Every one of us experiences this type of fear. And as I was preparing this week, there was one phrase that kept coming to my mind, one declaration, and I feel like if you hear anything that I say this morning, I want you to hear this. This is what I feel like the Lord was saying to us. God wants you to know this morning that the call of God on your life is too great to allow fear to keep you bound to a reality where God cannot do the impossible. The call of God on your life is too great for you to stay bound to a reality that believes that God can't do the impossible. How many know that fear always magnifies the, the impossible? Fear always magnifies your imperfections. Fear always magnifies what you can't do or how it's not gonna work. And what God wants to do is he wants to move us from that place of fear, this I don't know how this is gonna happen or this will never happen, and move us into a realm called the supernatural where we can actually see, even if I'm scared right now, I know that God is in it and he's moving. You see, it was necessary for Joseph to move beyond his own fear to begin to gain perspective of what was actually happening in his situation. And so God speaks to Joseph and he says, do not fear, do not be afraid, and then he gives him a choice. And here, here's what I love about that statement. You see, one of the disciples says to, jo to, to Jesus, he says, when, when he's, he's talking to the disciples and he's asking if you want to leave, um, I think it's Peter that responds, he says, where else can we go, Lord? You have the words of life. You see, the scripture teaches us that Jesus' words, the words of God, are our very sustenance. It's our very life source. And so when God says to Joseph, do not fear, it's not like a cute, cliche statement. You know, the statement almost seems cruel, right? Joseph is in this impossible situation, and God's like, hey, don't be scared. I would be like, God, now's a good time to be scared, right? But it's not just a cute, cliche statement, do not be afraid, but in the words of God actually carry the impartation needed for us to move into what he's declaring over us. What I mean by that is when he says, do not fear, what God is actually doing is providing a way for Joseph not to be afraid. You see, I think sometimes we live in this place where we're like, I know I shouldn't be afraid, but I don't know how to do it. What Joseph needed to do was to hear the words of God, do not be afraid, and move into the grace found in those words to say, I can actually live in a realm that is above fear. I can live in a place right now where I can believe God to do the impossible because God has given me an opportunity to step out of my fear. And so what I want to do this morning is I just want to talk for a second about a few different types of fear that Joseph might have experienced as he heard those words, do not fear. And let me say this. Joseph was in a situation that was impossible, that didn't make any natural sense. In Joseph's situation, the destiny of Joseph actually depended on his perspective shift. And the same is, is true about us. Your destiny depends on a perspective shift. 
Might I say this, the destiny of Jesus actually depended on Joseph making a shift in his perspective. You see, Jesus, the story would have gone a lot different if Joseph would have divorced her. But it was a perspective shift that actually allowed him to step into the very reason he was created. And so as I talk about these fears, we're going to talk about a few shifts in our perspective that we can make to move beyond our fear and begin to see what God is doing in our lives. And so here's a few fears that Joseph probably would have experienced. The first one is this. He probably experienced the fear of the unknown. Have you ever felt like God called you to do something that just seemed absolutely ridiculous? Anyone in the room? Like what God is asking me to do doesn't make any sense and I have no idea how it's going to come about. You see, the Bible is full of stories where God asked people to do things and it left them with this fear of the unknown. You could go all the way back to Abraham. God speaks to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want you to leave your family and I want you to go. Abraham says, go where? What does the Lord say? Go, right? You see, this is how the Lord works sometimes. He says, I want you to do this. You're like, okay, cool. Well, what am I going to do and where am I going to go and how is it all gonna work out? And the Lord said, I'm not giving you all of that. I'm just saying go. And it was in the going that Abraham actually found out that he would be the father of nations, You see, another time in the life of Abraham, we find where God says, Abraham, I want you to take your only child, your chosen child, the promised child, and I want you to take him up on the mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. You see, what God did not say is, is like, hey, Abraham, don't freak out, bro. There's a a ram in the bush up there. It's all going to be good. You know, everything's going to be fine. No, he just told him to go, and it was in the going that God actually provided for Abraham, We see it with Noah. God speaks to Noah and he says, I want you to build a boat. A lot of scholars actually believe before the time of Noah that it had never rained before. I don't know if that's true or not, but you could kind of imagine that if God speaks to Noah and says, I want you to build a boat because there's gonna be a flood. Noah's like, what's a flood? He's like, well, you know, it's like when it rains a lot, right? He's like, yeah, what's that? You see, Noah didn't understand what he was doing when he was doing it. He just knew that he was being obedient. And because of the obedience of Noah, the entire world is reclaimed, right? Same thing happens with Moses as he leads the people of Egypt out in this great deliverance only to find himself matched up with the Red Sea. Like this wasn't in the plan. Why did you bring us all this way only to die here? But then God speaks to him and he says, grab the staff and we know what happens next. We see it in the life of David as he enters a valley with Goliath, not knowing how it's gonna play out Elisha tells a young widow, I want you to get all the jars of oil. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, all these people are hungry. And he says, just grab a fish and some bread. And it seems that God always tells us to take a step. And what fear tries to do is fear tries to limit us from seeing what God is trying to do just beyond the horizon. So he had this fear, this fear of the unknown, and this is where God usually shows up. Now, I don't know if any of you guys are like me, but I'm a little bit of a control freak. I think I hear a silent amen from my wife in the back. I'm a little bit of a control freak. I don't do well with the unknown. I like all my ducks to be in order. What I've learned is, is that much of our fear of the unknown is actually rooted in our need 
for control. And when we live with this obsession for maintaining control in our lives, what we actually do is we limit ourselves to only what we can do in our own strength, right? When we try to maintain control of our lives, we're limiting ourselves from the impossible and we're just doing with what we can do on our own. But the fear of the unknown, it actually robs us from living in the realm just beyond the horizon, which is the supernatural. See, people ask all the time, why, why, why don't we pray for the sick? The reason we don't pray for the sick is we don't know if they're gonna get better, right? Like, it's scary to go out to a stranger and say, hey, can I pray for you? And then nothing happened to them, right? So it actually robs us from ever taking the chance. Why don't we share the gospel with people? It's because we're scared that they're gonna reject us. We don't know what the outcome is going to be. Why, why don't we give generously? It's rooted in a belief that maybe God's not actually gonna do his part on the other end. Why don't we take the risk? It's because we're scared of falling flat on our face. See, I think many of us live as if God is a mathematician and if I do this, then this is going to happen. But that's not always the reality, right? And when we live expecting that, then we, what we do is, is we rob ourselves because we're like, you know what, I'm not actually gonna take a chance because there's not a promised outcome on the other end. But what God is inviting us to when he says do not fear is not that everything's going to be perfect. What he's saying is, is I'm going to be with you. You can trust me because I'm going to be with you. And even if the outcome doesn't look like what you thought it was going to look like, it's going to be far better than what you could ever do in your own strength. And so living with the fear of the unknown, with this tight grip on life, it makes us feel more safe, but it's actually more dangerous. Because it's the declaration that if anything happens in my life, it's going to be because I planned for it. It's gonna be because I made it happen. And it robs us from the supernatural, which is God breaking in and doing what only he can do. And so when it comes to the, fear of man, to, the, to the fear of the unknown, we actually have an opportunity to replace our fear of the unknown with trust. And this is what allows his super to meet our natural, and it's only in that place can we live the life that we were intended to live. Amen? The second fear that I would imagine that Joseph felt was the, the fear of man. If you look at Matthew chapter 1 and verse 19 again, it says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You see, Joseph didn't want to bring shame upon his wife. And so what he decided to do was just to act like they were never together in the first place. He was like, you know what, I'm just going to sneak out the back door. I'm going to act as if this never happened, which if you ask me, I think we skip over this part in the story. But if we're really honest with ourselves, this is a cowardly choice that Joseph is getting ready to make, right? He's like, I don't want to shame her, so I'm just going to sneak out and pretend like this never happened, Right? I think the more bold decision would to be to say, you know what, even if this brings shame on my wife, I'm going to cover her in this situation. But this is what the fear of man does. This is what shame 
does. Shame causes us to act cowardly in the face of fear. Shame causes us to try to protect ourselves in the face of fear. It causes us to make decisions that we would look back on years later and say, I cannot believe I made that decision. What was going on? Why did I make that decision? It's because we were trapped by shame. It's because we were trapped by the fear of man. Have you ever been trapped by that statement, what will people think of me? What are people going to think if I actually go through with this? I would be bold to say that that fear is probably one of the greatest fears that we face in our personal lives, right? If I do this, what are they going to think of me? You see, shame has and always be has and always will be the enemy's greatest tactic to keep us bound. You see, the enemy doesn't have anything new. He does the same thing over and over and over. If you look all the way back to the garden, the thing that kept Adam and Eve bound was their shame. See, God comes to Adam and Eve and he tells them you could eat from these two trees, the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the scripture says as soon as they eat from that tree and they hear the voice of God, they run and they hide because of their nakedness. See, this is fascinating to me. I always thought they ran because they were afraid of God. They didn't run because they were scared of God. They ran because they were naked. What does God come to them? He's like, hey, goobers, you've always been naked, right? Have you ever thought about that? We hid because we're naked. He's like, yeah, you've never had clothes before, so you've always been naked. See, they didn't run and hide because they were scared. They ran and hid because they were shameful, because sin actually produces in us shame and fear. And so it's not, a lot of the times, it's not even the sin that keeps us bound, it's the shame that keeps us bound, right? And so they hid from God because they were scared of what he might find in them, not realizing that he knows everything about them. And so in this story, we find that shame is trying to keep Joseph bound, and shame and the fear of man will always try to rob us of our purpose, But when you trust God as your defender, you stop asking the question, what are people going to think of me? Because when you allow yourself to say, I know that I belong exclusively to him, then what other people say about you doesn't matter anymore. You see, this is how we get free from the fear of man. The way that we get free from the fear of man is to make the decision, I'm so accepted by God that I could give a rip about who rejects me. And God was trying to get Joseph to say, hey, I know this is going to be hard. I know there's going to be chatter. I know people are going to say things about you, but I need you to get a part of what I'm doing here and to see that you're part of a greater narrative that even though they're chatting in the back, you're actually raising the son of God. (laughs) Like they may be talking about you, but you're the one that's called to, to raise the Messiah. And this is how it happens to us. We're like, oh my gosh, what, what, if, what if they think this? What if they think this? Listen, every person I know that has done something significant for God has had to make the decision, I'm going to leave the fear of man and I'm gonna move forward and forget what people are going to say about me. See, I, I love studying revivals and history of revivals and people who God has used to heal the sick and do crazy things and they will all tell you stories. Like we... There's a, there's a man that I, I really admire, listen to speak. His name's Sean Bowles. He's a prophetic voice, and he 
has an incredibly accurate uh, prophetic gifting on his life, uh, like scary prophetic. And when I first saw him and I, and I heard him begin to share prophetically or, or give prophetic words, I just assumed that he had always been that way, right? I'm just like, man, that guy must have, you know, been prophesying from birth, right? But, but he starts to share stories and he's like, the first few times I tried this, I fell flat on my face, but I actually knew that I had a call of God on my life to be prophetic. And so when, when it didn't work or when I missed it, I didn't just give up out of fear. I kept practicing. I kept moving. I kept trying. I kept going. And every person that is actually used significantly by God would actually have the same story. The first time you pray for the sick, maybe nothing's going to happen. But in that place, you have a choice to make. Am I going to bow to the fear of man or am I going to keep pressing into what God is inviting me into? So the fear of man will try to keep us trapped, but the reality is, is if you've been accepted by God, then no man can reject you. The third thing, and I think a very real fear that Joseph probably feared in this whole situation was the fear of lack, the fear of lack. So Joseph initially was doubtful about the certainty of his wife's claim, but now an angel has come to him, and so he's like, okay, now I believe you. But now that I believe you, not only am I going to have a virgin-born baby, but it's actually the Son of God. Like, how am I going to raise the Messiah, right? Can you imagine being in Joseph's shoes? Joseph is like, now you're asking me to raise the Son of God. He's a normal guy. He's, he's a carpenter. He's not a guru. He's not a scholar. He, he's a carpenter, He's just a lowly man, and God is saying, I want you to do something, not only that has never been done before, but something that is going to change the course of history. And so you got to imagine Joseph is dealing with the fear of lack. I, I, I don't have what it takes. I don't know how this is going to be possible. Can anyone relate to that? I'm not gifted enough to do this. I don't have the money to do that. I don't have the resources, I don't have the time, I don't have the energy to do those things. It's, it's usually where we resort to when God presents something to us. God's like, hey, I want you to do that. And we immediately go to all the reasons why we don't have what it takes to do what God is asking us to do. We've all felt it. But this, is, this is what I've learned in the kingdom of God. We have a good father. And if God is our father, then he has covenanted himself to us as our provider, which means provision isn't your responsibility, it's his. It's not your money, it's his. It's not your gifting, it's his. It's not your faith, it's his. And when we see him that way, what we can realize is, is I don't have to make this happen in my own strength. If God is inviting me into something bigger than myself, it must be that he has the resources that he's going to supply to me. Amen. And I'm not going to try to figure it out on my own. I'm just going to lean in and trust him. You see, shortly after Jesus is born, the magi or the, the wise men or the kings uh, come and they follow a star to Bethlehem to see this king that has been born. And they bring gifts with them and they're significant gifts that they bring with Jesus. I mean, with, with them to Jesus. They bring with them, with, with them gold, frankincense, and, and myrrh, right? I can remember when I was a kid, I, I always thought that the, the wise men brought Frankenstein to Jesus. Um, 
It's like, I don't know why they did that, but. So the Magi, they bring with them gold, they bring frankincense, and they bring myrrh. And they brought significant amounts to Jesus. The amount worthy of a king. Now, what, what you have to understand about Joseph is that as a lowly carpenter, an average guy, Joseph had probably never touched gold in his life. He may have never seen gold in his life. They didn't use gold as currency. The denarii were usually silver or another kind of less precious metal. He had never seen gold before. And here these wise men come dumping gold at his feet. You see, Mary had probably only smelled frankincense when she was passing by some richer person at the market. It wasn't something that was commonly used by the lower class. But here these kings come and they're pouring out frankincense and myrrh and gold at their feet. And, and here you have this normal couple and these kings, these, these well-to-do men that are bowing at your child and they're worshiping him. You must be thinking, okay, something bigger is going on here, right? Like there's something of significance that is happening in this moment. And so the Magi, what we know about the Magi, there's not a lot that we know, but we know for sure that they came from the east and that they were noblemen and that they were most likely astronomers or astrologists. The reason that's significant is because they weren't like good Jewish people, right? They weren't a part of their religion, they weren't a part of their crew or their tribe or their church. These were guys who thought differently, who believed differently, who practiced some things that we would maybe say, ah, I don't know if you should be doing that. It's those kind of people that came to bring the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh, and their worship to the sun. Why is this significant? Because shortly after, Joseph would actually have a dream that said, you guys are in danger and you need to flee this place and go to Egypt, Right? And so as they go to Egypt, what they now have is everything they need to live off of for the next three years of their life. But here's the significant part. It came from a source that they wouldn't have expected it to come from. And so here they are in the midst of their fear. I don't have what it takes. I don't know how we're going to raise the Messiah. We have these random astrologers that show up to worship our child, and they actually fund our, our mission to Egypt for the next three years. This is how God works. When God asks us to do something significant, with it is the necessary provision to make it happen. And it usually comes from places that we never would have expected it to come from. So here's what we have to understand. There is no need to fear lack. You have everything that you need to fulfill the call of God on your life. Maybe you're in a situation like Joseph where God is asking you to do something that doesn't make any sense in your natural mind. I wanna say to you today, you have everything you need to accomplish the call of God on your life. And in the same way that Joseph had to make a conscious decision of this is scary, this doesn't make any sense, I'm, I'm scared and I'm thinking about divorcing my wife, we have to heed the words of God that says, do not be afraid. Trust me, I am in this. I'm gonna close if the worship team wants to come back up. You see, the story of Joseph and Mary actually shows us a beautiful picture 
of what happens when we choose to trust God, not after the fear subsides, but right in the middle of it. It's the beauty of Joseph and Mary. It's that they didn't have like a long time to figure out if they were up for, you know, bearing the child, right? They got pregnant and then the angel comes to them. It wasn't like God came to them and asked their permission. He didn't come and say, hey, um, you know, we're taking a census here. We're trying to figure out who would be the best parents for the Messiah in town. Do you want to sign up? I'm sure they would have said no, right? But she becomes pregnant by the Holy Spirit. The fear sets in, and then God shows up. You see, sometimes this is how it happens. God leads us into a fearful place. We get scared, we're shaking in our boots, and then God shows up and he says, hey, this is me. This is me. You don't have to be afraid. And so Joseph, who was an insignificant character in the scripture, most scholars believe that he probably died before Jesus ever went to the cross. He wasn't found to be at the cross. But because Joseph trusted God, he was graced with the opportunity to raise the Messiah. You know, I've been thinking about this this week. In the past few weeks, it's beautiful having a baby around Christmas time because it makes you think of the incarnation. And I just have to imagine that Joseph, like me, in the night hour, is standing over a changing table, changing the dirty diaper of his baby, and the thoughts in his mind that this is the Son of God. (laughs) Like I'm changing, the Son of God has the bowel movement and I have to change it. Like so normal, but so significant, right? So human, but so beautiful. It's, it's, this, it's, it's this reality that in this infant is the one who holds the universe together. And I just had to imagine that Joseph in these moments had to think about, I'm, I'm an insignificant person, I'm a nobody, I don't have any purpose in my life but to carve things out of wood, but here I am raising the Messiah, He had the opportunity to teach him to work with his hands. We know that Jesus himself became a carpenter and apprenticed under his father. He had the opportunity to teach Jesus to honor his father father and mother. Can you imagine Jesus obeying parents that he created? Joseph had the opportunity to teach the Torah, the law, to the very word of God himself. He played a significant role in ushering in the very kingdom of God. An insignificant man with an incredible call. Now, I recognize that none of us in the room are pregnant with the Son of God. That would be weird. We would have to have a conversation after church if you thought that. But I want to say this. We can all gleam from the life of Joseph and Mary in this that sometimes we feel insignificant, but the call of God on our life is great. The call of God on your life is great. The purpose that God has bestowed upon you is a big one. And the question I wanna ask this morning as we close is this. What is it that's just on the other side of your greatest fear? What is it that's just beyond the horizon of your greatest fear. You see, many of us in the room know exactly what it is that God has called us to do. 
We know exactly what it is that God has purposed us to do. And because of how significant that call is, many of us are stuck in the fear of, fear of the unknown, fear of shame, and the fear of lack. And this morning, I just feel like God is making the declaration over us as he did to Mary and as he did to Joseph, do not be afraid. And he's reminding us that in the words, do not be afraid, is the necessary grace for you to not need to fear anymore. In the words, do not be afraid, is a, is a very real impartation that says you can come above the fear and step into what God has created you for. Can we stand this morning? I want to invite the ministry team to come. I love the story of God. I love how God comes. I love what it shows us about the nature of God, that he's humble, that he's kind, he's real, he's like us. We know that the story of God doesn't end at Christmas, it doesn't end in a manger, but this Jesus who was raised by Mary and Joseph would go on for 30 years to live relatively in obscurity, not known by many except for a few times where he would get lost at the temple schooling the Pharisees. Can you imagine being Mary and, and just trying to keep up with Jesus of like, where have you been? And it's like, well, I've just been rebuking the Pharisees at the temple, right? 30 years he lives in obscurity and then he goes public for three years and he does miracles and wonders and he shows us that he himself is the very power of God and on the last about 33 years old he dies at the hands of Pontius Pilate at the hands of cruel men he gives himself as the very one that he was promised to be the savior of the world it says that he resurrects on the third day. He ascends to sit at the right hand of the Father. And the Apostle Paul now calls us this. This man is not dead, he is alive. And he now has become the head of the church. And as the head of the church, he has called you and I to be his body. Which means your purpose is not disconnected from his purpose. The very purpose of God on your life is not just a random thing. It is connected to his and the head of the church has a purpose for the entire body. And so us as the body of Christ has significant purpose here on this earth. And the question I wanna ask this morning is, is what do you feel is keeping you from your purpose? Maybe you have fear that God is not going to come through on your behalf. Maybe you have fear that God has called you to do something great and there is this gap between your gifting and what he's asking you to do. And the invitation this morning is I just wanna ask you, what will it take for you to say, I'm gonna step out of this fear and I'm gonna lean into him with trust and faith? going to choose to believe that what he is calling me to is significant and I refuse to allow fear to keep me bound any longer. So I want to ask you this morning as we pray, if you feel like you've been gripped with fear, maybe you felt like you wanted to come forward last week and you're just like, I don't know, I need to come forward today. We have a prayer team here that wants to pray with you and partner with you in those words that were declared by that angel, do not be afraid. Let me pray for you this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you came. God, we thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us. And I thank you that you are Emmanuel today, God in our midst. I just pray this morning, God, as we, 
have looked at the life of Joseph and as we relate to the same kind of fears that he faced, God, I pray this morning that you would release grace over us to say, I wanna step into what you're asking me to do. I wanna be a part of the story. I wanna be a part of the narrative and I don't wanna have fear keep me back anymore. And so God, this morning, whatever any of us are dealing with, the fear of lack, the fear of what people are gonna think, the fear of the unknown, of letting go of control, I pray, God, that we would lay that down this morning and we would step into what you have for us. We honor you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.